0: I've quite often said that there is a lack of reasoning, a lack of being able to examine things from a biblical perspective, whether it be political, social, personal. This is a grave, grave issue within the Church of Jesus Christ, within the Body of Christ, and the effects of the implementation of things personal and also external to us, whether it's society more generally speaking or within our inner orbit. When we don't take time to think about the decisions that we're making, what we decide to support, and we examine all these things through the biblical ethic, we leave ourselves at a disadvantage and we additionally are going to pay the consequences for not examining things and not pursuing things from a biblical vantage point. We're gonna talk about this a bit more in this edition of the Absolute Truth Absolutely podcast. I welcome each and every one of you to this new episode, once again presenting this edition's subject, Your Servant in Jesus Christ, Geo. I was reading this article on zerohedge.com, and it is titled, How the Great Society Destroyed the Nuclear Family Structure in One Chart. According to the article writer, it says, who destroyed the American family? The argument can be made that the Great Society programs initiated the destruction of the nuclear family structure. The blame starts with President Lyndon B. Johnson's set of domestic programs in the mid-1960s that were used to fight poverty but only discouraged work and destabilized families. Six long decades of socialist welfare programs have aided in the breakup of the nuclear family structure. In fact, a central tenet of Marxism is to dismantle this structure. Remember, the Black Lives Matter organization and Marxism share similar goals. BLM stated in 2020, it wanted to abolish the family as we knew it. Quote, we disrupt the Western prescribed nuclear family structure requirement by supporting each other as extended families and villages that collectively care for one another, especially our children, to the degree that mothers, parents, and children are comfortable. Now, that requires some examination because there is an inherent contradiction in this statement, although it may sound as if what they're advocating for is to distance ourselves from this so-called oppressive environment or structure that has been proposed and implemented in many degrees in many cultures via Christianity. If you think about it, when they say that we are supporting each other as extended families, where do they get the concept of families from? You wouldn't be able to have that concept without God designing it in the first place. You can't have anything outside of what is known as the nuclear family, established by God, delineated by God, you wouldn't be able to have any idea of what it is unless you first found out what it is in the first place. So you can't co-opt it, that's number one, without giving credit to its maker, and you can't remake it because when you pervert it, then the consequences come about as we are seeing and the article goes on to prove. Additionally, when they use the term villages, it goes back to this idea that the government and those whom administer it are better prepared, more knowledgeable, much more wiser than the general populace to direct their children's path for the future. Of course, when you understand the inherent outcome of this, it's that the people in power just want to indoctrinate the children so that their own power structure, the one that they control, were to stay in place for the longest period of times. This is why they like propaganda. This is why they like government-sanctioned schools, so on and so forth. And this is aptly proved, by the way, most recently by the head of the NEA, the National Educators Association, latest keynote speech in their annual meetings. These people are not interested in education in the strictest sense of the term. What they're interested in is indoctrination, more specifically, progressive Marxist secular indoctrination. Additionally, when it talks here about the collective care for one another, this idea of care, where do they get it from, if not from the Bible? Where do they get this idea of caring for our children? But again, you have to understand Marxist language because this is inherently subversive as well as um, as, as as deceitful as it can be because they really couldn't care less for the children. As I said before, Marxists in power they simply want a factory that churns out children that will support their regime and keep them in power. That's what it's all about. The article continues, so clearly there's been half a century war on the nuclear family. The latest U.S. Census data shows that a record number of Americans live alone. Census data shows 27.6% of all U.S. occupied households were one-person households in 2020, up from just 7.7% in 1940. The largest share of people living alone occurred between 1970 and 1980 when the percentage increased from 17.6% to 22.7% right after the welfare programs started. So obviously, what we're seeing here is an incentivization for people not to work, to be lazy, to not search for the daily bread, as it were. So what's the result of progressives tearing down the nuclear family structure? Well, just the news recently noted, quote, First, the U.S. has the highest rate of single-parent households in the world. Second, the connection between single-parent households and crime is very strong. According to research carried out by Jared Brown, a behavioral scientist or specialist at Concordia St. Paul, the extant literature, quote, suggests that children raised in single-parent households experience more physical and psychological problems compared to those raised in two-parent households. It's curious. For how many years have biblical Christians been saying this exact same thing? Yet, since we base ourselves in the Bible, they call us kooks, they call us lunatics, antiquated, any single ad hominem that they have at their disposition, they'll use it. But then when statistics are showcased to prove what Christians have been saying beforehand, what they'll do is they'll automatically dismiss it, which shows that these people are not interested in the truth of the matter. They're interested in their version of what they wish to see normalized throughout the rest of society, the pain, the agony, as it were, that they feel they wish to impose it upon others. And even so, the curious thing about it is, is these people, these perverts, these uh, licentious, lascivious people that they live a particular way, they're not living in the same way that the rest of the public is living. They try to present themselves as identifying with the plight of the public when they themselves are elitists. Case in point, look at Patrice Cullors and the rest of the hierarchy, Of black lives matter but more specifically patrice colors when it was eventually found out that she honed she owned basically dozens of houses all on what black lives matter was collecting via donations she herself is a race huckster and even then as i've stated before i don't like use the term race because there is no such thing as race this is a darwinian concept where he divided humanity among different races, so-called. The Bible very clearly states that from one blood, one lineage is man, from our father and mother, Adam and Eve. Race was a concept that was adopted, that was presented by Darwin, so as to differentiate different types of people as certain persons within even Anglo-Saxon culture as being superior to others. For example, read what he has to say about Irishmen. In essence... He calls them the doldrums of society, even though Brits and Irish were both European in nature, Anglo-Saxon. So again, these are things, these are words that we use nowadays because they're so commonly used and we don't take time to actually understand where these concepts originate from and how they color our understanding even of humanity. Uh, It continues here. Moreover, he added the implications of homes in which fathers are absent may be important to explore the criminal justice and mental health professionals. We've stated over and over again, because the data proves this, that in homes where mothers are the lone parent, usually the rate of delinquency, usually the rate of failure in education is much higher than in households where both the father and the mother are present. Now, there's a curious statistic in the midst of all of this that feminists will not want you to hear when compared to single father households, meaning the father is alone raising his children. The equivalency, as it were, of level of education and there being a lack of delinquency is actually more or less on par when there are two parents in the household. And let me be more specific here. When I say two parents, I'm speaking here about father and mother, not the perversion that is presented today by the activists that are trying to normalize and continue to try to normalize deviance, uh, uh, sexuality, as it were. Now, am I diminishing mothers by this? Am I diminishing women by this? Of course not. Am I stating that the ideal here then is for the father to be alone raising his children? Of course not. The Bible very clearly states that God's design over a household were to be a man and a woman. Now, when we examine all of this in light of what is being shown through this article, and there are many other proofs, by the way, what does this tell us? First and foremost, this tells us that Christians don't take the time to examine whether or not something ought to be implemented. What are the ramifications? What are the extended and the immediate effects of not only supporting these policies, but also what effects they'll have, not only personally, but in the society at large? Of course, now many people are recipients of these social programs, which when you think about it, they're nothing more than socialism, government sanctioned theft to take away from Peter, to give to Paul. And there are very many people that are comfortable with this idea because it incentivizes laziness and it disincentivizes initiative, among other things. There was a a program that was implemented and I'll use this as a point to prove the broader point I'm trying to make here. There was a program that was implemented in the previous administration, where they tried to put in place certain requirements that would show that people who were receiving public aid, and I don't like to call it government aid because it's public aid, they're taking it from taxpayers and then simply redistributing it to use Obama's false terminology here, skewed terminology to other people. And when they started implementing work requirements, meaning if you want to continue to receive this aid, you're going to have to look for work immediately the rate of people receiving these, the monies from these social programs began to diminish, thereby showcasing that there's a great amount of people on the public dole whom can work, they choose not to work because, once again, the programs incentivize these things. What is it the Bible tells us? Paul writing to the Thessalonians says, he who shall not work shall not eat. This is a biblical principle which states that human nature, if you acclimate it, if you acclimate people, to receiving what they ought to go out and work for from other people, they'll simply appeal to their laziness. Furthermore, and this is how vicious humanity tends to be, where now that help, that aid, becomes the responsibility of the bearer of that help. Meaning, and stated otherwise, when someone is trying to help someone else, now it becomes the victim's right to receive that aid, even though they can go out and work for it themselves. This is part of the victimhood mentality that has now plagued the United States. When you think about it, all of these things were unfurled, were presented as problems in our society. And yet the Christians of the 1960s, many Christians of the 1970s were stating, why not? Why can't we implement these programs? The Bible tells us that we have to help the poor. Yes, but what do you mean by the poor? Poor has to be defined adequately. Poor is not a person whom having the ability, and having the opportunity to go out and make a living for themselves chooses not to do so. That's not poverty. As a matter of fact, when we further try to define these things, I think there's an understanding that we need to have about absolute poverty and relative poverty. Relative poverty meaning, for example, in the United States, the relative poverty line and this is the federal government guideline as to the matter, is a single mother, look it up and you'll find it, a single mother who has two children living at home, she has access to an apartment, has air conditioning, owns one car and a cell phone, and makes about $17,000 a year. That's the average. Now, of course, when you examine this in light of what absolute poverty is, you'll say that's not poverty at all. Well, that's the point. This is why politicians tend to play with the terminologies to fool people as it was in Lyndon Baines Johnson's time. One of the things that the Democrats and he were trying to do back then was to try to promote the idea among churches because they knew that Christians would be more amenable to support these programs. And many Christians did back then saying, this is our biblical mandate to do so. Instead of understanding what the the government was trying to implement was inherently unjust. Why would you take money from people who went out and earned it, earned it rightfully so, and give it to those to incentivize laziness. They were trying to buy votes, let's face it. Baines Johnson and the Democrats were trying to buy votes. That was the end game. But of course the facade, and this is typical with politicians, the facade is what we're just trying to help people. So as to garner those votes, this is the problem when Christians, and this is just using a historical example, This is an issue when Christians don't take the time to take into consideration in their decision-making process, human nature, what the Bible has to say about the very same, what God tells us is right and wrong. All of these things ought to be a part of our decision-making process, but we don't. And look at what it has cost us. Even Christians supporting these programs to this day, they've actually helped contribute in some way, shape, or form to the destruction of the nuclear family within the United States. The very cornerstone that God designed for it to be the pillar of civilization. And we're helping it along by supporting said programs along with government-sanctioned theft because that's all it is. Some Christians don't understand that theft is theft no matter if it's done by someone in the private sector or if it's done by someone in the public sector, meaning the government. These are distinctions that need to be understood. But once again, when Christians don't take the time to think about these things, these are the consequences. The moral of the story for this edition is learn to examine all things. Don't simply allow yourself to be deceived by the talking points. And trust me, there's a lot of that nowadays. I'll end with this. One of the most vivid examples that I can give to prove this to the listeners is as follows. A couple of years ago, with the COVID pandemic, Rick Warren, Russell Moore, all so-called bigwigs within the evangelical circles, suddenly it seemed as if there was this effort behind the scenes to try to promote more and more the so-called COVID vaccines among Christians because there was a level, a big level of hesitancy among evangelical Christians, or what demographers stated are evangelical Christians within the United States. So what happened, Francis Collins, whom is nothing more than a glorified government bureaucrat, Not only that, he's practically evil at the very same alongside Fauci and others. Uh, You have persons like Rick Warren and Russell Moore and others whom behind the scenes, they were organizing propaganda interviews with Francis Collins, even though Francis Collins and Fauci knew all about gain of function research, even though they lied about saying that they didn't know any of this, that this was happening to Congress, what have you, you know, all of this still now. They were concocting these schemes behind the scenes with so-called evangelical leaders to try to bypass the rightfully held hesitancy and rejection of these COVID vaccines among evangelical Christians. How did they do this? Well, Warren, knowing his influential place, unfortunately so, within evangelical circles, he said, I'm going to interview Francis Collins, and among the things I'm going to say about him is he's a Christian brother and you can trust him. Yes, the very same man whom lied to Christians about the efficacy of the COVID vaccines and also lied to them about the effects, the dire effects that the same would have upon humanity. The same thing with Russell Moore, the former head of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention. They conspired behind the scenes. This is proven by an article written by Megan Basham over uh, for the Daily Wire over the matter, and others were involved in this scheme to try to trick Christians into taking the COVID Vaccines, things that have caused enormous damage, physical damage, as well as monetary damage to the United States. Now, what do I say of this? Why do I use this as an example? Many Christians fell, unfortunately, for the propaganda, not understanding that human nature, the Bible, what it teaches us about human nature, should have taken many more Christians whom eventually succumbed to whoever the influencer was telling them, do this, should I? just because this person is saying it? What are my eyes telling me, as it were? What am I reading? What is it that others are telling me about this? Am I counterweighing this against the evidence, as it were? This is so important. Examination is one of those primary tools that God has given us to not fall prey to the seemingly well-intentioned, even though we know that so-called these seemingly well-intentioned people, they know how to deceive because they give the appearance of good intentions when in fact their intentions are evil. Keep that in mind and I hope that this will help you understand. As the old Dodge says, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. It's all the time I have left for this edition. I thank you so much for listening. If you're listening to this through iTunes, I would ask you or the Apple podcast app, I would ask you that uh, you were to give us a five-star review. It helps the algorithms pick this up and also disseminate this to other people so they can too hear uh, the truth, that's the name of this podcast, Absolute Truth, Absolutely. We strive to give you the absolute truth unvarnished. That's the purpose of this podcast. I would invite you to visit the website as well, atapodcast.org, and also help us spread the word by letting others know through social media channels, email, what have you, about the existence of this ministry so that they too may know the truth in this world full of uncertainty. That's all the time I have left for this edition. Thank you for listening. Until the next time that we gather virtually as it were, may the Lord shine his face upon you.